strong, committed followers of Jesus Christ with their foot set firm on a foundation, a solid ground. That's what I want to be. That's what I want you to be. That's what I want us to be is strong, committed followers of Jesus Christ with their foot set on a firm foundation. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. I am thankful that we serve a God (laughs) that is a firm foundation on which to stand. When the rains fall and the winds blow and the tides rise up, if we build our house on the rock, we will stand firm. And that's what I'm looking at. That's what I want for us um, as a church and as a people that we do not uh, stake our claim or stake stake our belief system on our opinions or what the culture says uh, or how I feel, whatever it may be, but we stand on the Word of God and Jesus Christ. We do not look outside of that uh, for anything else. We stand firm on the Word of God. Uh, We don't look uh, to find our joy in the success of our favorite college football team. Because if you do... You will be disappointed. (laughs) That's not where we stake our foundation. We put it on Jesus Christ. That's where we stand. That's where we stand. And so, uh, last week we looked um, at the Bible. This is the first thing we're looking at. I'm looking at doing a a couple of things. So, kind of two weeks on on a few things. Um, Last week was the Bible. This week is the Bible again. That this is where we this is where we stand. So last week we looked at it from the historical point of view, that uh, this Bible is not corrupted, but actually is very, very well preserved to the original manuscripts, and I'm thankful for that. Um, So last week was a historical point of view, but today I want to look at a spiritual point of view. How do we know that this is the Word of God? Maybe it was just a bunch of geniuses out there just writing Scripture, okay? How do we know that it's actually the Word of God? I understand from a historical point of view, but what about from a spiritual point of view? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Ezekiel chapter 26. I'll be there in just a minute. I've got a few other scriptures to read, but I want to look at uh, Ezekiel, chapter, uh, Ezekiel chapter 26 just for a moment, um, and it will help us greatly, immensely, um, talking about this. It's called inspiration. We believe that the, that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And, and what exactly does that mean? Well, inspiration means filling or breathing into. So we believe that all these authors, different authors, span 1,500 years, about 40 different authors, all walks of life, all different areas, three different continents, as we learned last week, um, that the Holy Spirit filled them, had an infilling of them, and was able to write um, the scriptures. So this was not dictation, okay? This was not, you know, Moses. I said thee, not thou. Okay, okay scratch that out. It, it wasn't dictation, okay? Filled them. There was an infilling. They inspired them to then write these words. And so, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, 
It says that when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. This is Paul talking. We don't use human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. We can understand some spiritual things to a certain point, what the Lord allows us to understand, but we can't understand the scope of the cosmos and all of this, okay? We have to rely on the Lord. And so Paul is saying, you know, we didn't come up with this. We didn't, we didn't make this up. This isn't just human wisdom. We're not just smarter than all of y'all, okay? The Holy Spirit inspired us what to say, and so we wrote it down. Second, Peter, or Second Timothy, excuse me, chapter 3. Uh, he's, he's Paul, he's talking to Timothy, and he's, and he's teaching him and showing him how to be a good pastor and how to be a good shepherd. He says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know that you can trust those who taught you. How many of you grew up in church? Raise your hand. You, like, you, like from the womb, you were in church, okay? That was, that was me as well, okay? I was, I was singing victory in Jesus, when I, you know, so that's just, Okay. So this is kind of one of those deals where it's like, you know this, like you were taught this, okay? And you know that they are true, for you can trust those who taught you. Verse 15, you have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. Now the whole New Testament had not been written yet, so he's not just talking about the New Testament, which they had some of at that point, but they... He's talking a lot about the Old Testament. So he says, he says, from the scriptures, you've been given the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is actually in the Old Testament as well. Amen. You can find Jesus in the Old Testament. And that's what he's saying. He's saying the Old Testament pointed toward this coming Messiah who is Jesus Christ. Verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and in useful and is useful to teach us what is true, make us, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So this Bible, inspired by the word of God, is not just cute stories that we can tell our friends and kids and whatever else. This inspired word of God challenges us, pokes and prods us along. He says, uh-uh, quit doing that. You're hurting your relationship with the Lord. Move this direction. And so really, if, if we've gone an extended amount of time without being convicted by something in the word, I don't know that we're reading the word right. Because the word, it's, it's designed to be, to be God speaking to us saying, Hey, we, we got to go this direction. We got, we got to move in this direction. This is what I have for you. And then not only that, not only move us in the right direction away from sin, then it says to prepare us and equip us to do every good work. So we don't do works to get saved, but once we are saved, this Bible shows us you need to be doing some works. You need to be doing something. Be doing some good works in here, okay? And that's what this Bible does. So those who don't want to be confronted with their sin or those people who don't want to do anything, don't read this Bible. But if you want to move closer to the Lord and then find out what the Lord wants for you here on this earth and in this season, then you read this. You read this Bible. So what is a way that we can prove, prove, that's a big word, prove that this Bible, this Word of God is actually the Word of God, that it is inspired. 
okay? How can we prove this to ourselves, to others, that it wasn't just a bunch of geniuses writing stuff down, but that it was the Lord? Well, what if God was able to say some things in this Bible and to these authors that there's no way in their human wisdom that these authors would know what God was talking about? What if there was a way that in some cases they were able to tell, if you will, the future, what, was a, what is about to happen, and so then God was able to lead these people through that? There's this thing called prophecy. Now, everybody, wake up. I know I just said prophecy and y'all went to sleep. All right, get up. All right. We're going to talk about prophecy just for a minute here, okay? Because this is a very important way that we show that this is the Word of God. There are other religions who've tried it and, and failed, crashed and burned. But when you, we look at the Word of God and the prophecies that were foretold hundreds and sometimes thousands of years before they happened, it is undeniable. There is no way that the authors could have known what they were writing was going to, take, was going to happen, and especially in the detail that it would happen. I want to show you just one this morning extendedly. And it's in Ezekiel chapter 26, if you turn there. Ezekiel chapter 26, I want to read this, starting in verse 1. In the eleventh month of the twelfth year, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. That's interesting. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel. Son of man, because Tyre has said of Jerusalem, Aha, the gate to the nations is broken, its doors have swung open to me, and now she lies in ruins I will prosper. So there was this metropolis city of Tyre, uh, similar-ish to New York City today. Everybody knew Tyre. It was right on the ocean, um, a, a big place where you can come and trade at that time. Um, everybody knew where Tyre was. It was this huge, huge city. And at this time, 586, uh, Jerusalem uh, is, is overtaken. And so Tyre, basically the city, laughs at Jerusalem. Laughs at the God of, of the Israelites um, and laughs at them. So they say, aha, the gate to the nations is broken. And so they laugh. And so this is Ezekiel's response, or really God's response to this entire city laughing at the fall of Jerusalem. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, Tyre. That is not a good place to be. And I will bring many nations against you, like the sea Casting up its waves. Listen, listen to the words of this prophecy. Okay? I will bring nations against you like the sea casting up its waves. They will destroy the walls of Tyre, pull down her tires. I will scrape her away her rubble and make her a bare rock. Okay, keep these things in mind. Verse 5. Out of the sea she will become a place to spread fishnets. For I have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. She will become plunder for the nations and her settlements on, on, her, on the mainland on the mainland will be ravaged by the sword. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So then he goes into kind of the prophecy again, but then he adds some more details to it. Verse 7. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. From the north I'm going to bring against Tyre Nebuchadnezzar. So he's naming the king that's going to come against them. This has not happened yet. Okay, naming the king that's going to come against them. 
Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses, chariots, and horsemen, and a great army, he will ravage your settlements on the mainland. He will ravage your settlements on the mainland with the sword. He will set up siege works against you, build a ramp up to your walls, and raise his shields against you. He will direct the blows of his battering rams against your walls, demolish your towers and weapons. His horses will be so many that they will cover you with dust. Your walls will tremble at the noise of the war horses. Wagons, chariots, when he enters your gates, his men enter a city whose walls have been broken through. The hooves of his horses will trample his feet. He will kill your people with the sword, and your strong pillars will fall to the ground. Basically, general war stuff is happening here, okay? The horses are coming through. We're going to pull down the towers and all of this, okay? What's interesting is 7 through 11, he keeps saying he, 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 talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 12. They, so there's a, there's a switch. He goes from he to they. They will plunder your wealth and loot your merchandise. They will break down your walls, demolish your fine houses. Check this out. And throw your stones, timber, and rubble into the sea. They will throw your stones, timber, and rubble into the sea. That seems kind of like hyperbole. You know, like we're going to throw your city into the sea. You know, that's like I'm going to punch you to the moon. You know, it's kind of hyperbole. It's like, okay, that's not actually going to How do you pick up a city and throw it in the sea? That, okay, you don't really do that. But, you know, it's just kind of... You know, we're going to get you, we're going to beat you, that, that type of thing, okay? At least that's what you think. Verse 13, I will put an end to your noisy songs, and the music of your harps will be heard no more. Verse 14, I will make you a bare rock, second time he said that. And you will become a place to spread your fishnets, second time he said that. You will never be rebuilt, for I, the Lord, have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. So this is, just, this is not just, all right, Tyre, we're going to get you, and you're going to fall. There's some specific things in there, right, that he says is going to happen. In fact, let's look at these specific things, okay? So he says that many nations will come against Tyre. It's not just one, many nations. Like the waves of the sea, they will come. Like waves, like one and then another and then another. Destruction of walls and towers. Okay, well, that might be like general war stuff, okay? But he calls out Nebuchadnezzar will breach the town. The city will be cast into the sea. Well, that doesn't happen, right? I don't know how you call that, but it will be like the top of a rock. Fishermen will cast their nets there, and the city will never be rebuilt. So here's what happened. Ezekiel makes this prophecy in 586, 586, right after the destruction of Jerusalem. Two to three years later, Tyre has someone coming to battle her, and his name is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar comes two to three years out. Two to three years out. Nebuchadnezzar comes in and starts to attack Tyre. So what you do is you want to kind of surround a city so that they can't, you know, get help from other people or they, or they, or they lose food or whatever. So Nebuchadnezzar, that, that's kind of what he does. He surrounds the city. For 13 years they are in war. 13 years. Okay? So what happened was is they are this city and, and, and they get some help from other ships that are coming in kind of on the back end and giving them some help. But as the 13-year war drags on, more and more people are dying, but also more and more people, they're just running out of food. So they owned this huge mainland property, but then off about a half a mile off into the ocean, there was this island that was there that they were leaking out the back, and they built kind of another city here so that they could get away from Nebuchadnezzar and his army for 13 years, okay? So now they've kind of moved the city over here into the ocean. So 
Nebuchadnezzar comes in for 13 years, and finally that 13th year, he breaks down the doors, and there's no one there. They've all left. <laughs> but they tear down the pillars, and they destroy the whole thing, and, the, and Nebuchadnezzar, and they, they, they beat Tyre, the main land of Tyre. Do you remember when it said that in there? The main land of Tyre. But everybody had, had left. Many of them had either died or left and gone to that, this island city. If you've been to San Francisco, you've seen Alcatraz that's just like out there in the water. That's kind of what it was like, so they, they went out there. About 250 years later, there's this man named Alexander the Great. You ever heard of him? Alexander the Great, he didn't care who you were. He was just demolishing you, okay? He was just running over everybody, okay? So he comes up, and he wants to defeat the rest of Tyre. So he comes up, he's like, well, he says, I want you to bow to me. Tyre says, nope, we're not going to bow to you. So he says, okay, well, then we're going to beat you. And then Tyre says, well, come and get us. We're out here in the ocean, <laughs> Okay? And so he, he, Alexander the Great, at the first, doesn't know what to do because he, he wants to go out there uh, and get them. So he looks over, and there's this mainland Tyre. They didn't have a cleanup crew in Tyre. So they, they still have this, this city of torn down pillars and all this stuff. It's still there. It hasn't been cleaned up. It hasn't been moved. I mean, the, the city has moved out. So Alexander the Great instructs his armies to pick up the rubble and the wood, and everything that's left over from the old mainland city of Tyre, and they threw it into the ocean to make a land bridge to get to the island where the new Tyre was. How cool is that? So they're picking this up, and they're throwing it in here, and they're, picking, and they're, they're, just, they're making this land bridge to get to them, and the city of Tyre is like, uh-oh. And so Alexander the Great is slowly but surely moving closer and closer to be able to get to them. He didn't have any ships. So then they start attacking back, and they're shooting their arrows and all this stuff. And so then he sends word that other people, nations that he had just conquered, come and help me, I want to take down Tyre. So you've got Alexander the Great making a land bridge to get to Tyre. Then you've got this nation of ships coming this direction, and they attacked. And then you've got this nation over here, come in this direction and attacked. Like waves coming in this way, and then a wave came in this way, and they defeated the city of Tyre in this, in this, huge, in this huge battle. Look at all these things that came true from Ezekiel's word. Many nations will come against Tyre, that's true. Nebuchadnezzar's, uh, Alexander the Great, and then these others. Like waves of the sea you're coming in, destruction of the walls and towers. Nebuchadnezzar will breach the town. That happened. The city will be cast into the sea. That's incredible. Then there's three more. It will be like the top of a rock. Fishermen will cast their nets there. The city will never be rebuilt. Okay? So we got three left. Now, maybe you're looking, maybe you're thinking, where is this story in the Bible? I'm thumbing through here, and I don't see this story. What are you talking about, Adam? Okay? This story is not in the Bible. The prophecy was in the Bible. The story happened in history. A lot of this information that I got was from a place called Encyclopedia Britannica. I looked at the history of Alexander and Indica by the Greek historian Arian and some guy named Quidius Curtius. Okay? These are not in the Bible. These are outside the Bible. The prophecy was in the Bible. But the actual story that came true was outside the Bible that we read from other manuscripts that happened about Alexander the Great. So, for those who say, well, of course we believe the stories, you know, you Christians believe the stories in the Bible, it's in the Bible. This is a story outside the Bible that came true from a prophecy earlier. Years later, 
Years later, author Nina Zhejian wrote, there is, a, there is a city of Tyre today, but it is not the original city. It is built down the coast from the original site. The existence of a small fishing village, it's now a fishing village, the existence of a small fishing village upon the site of the ancient city of Tyre does not mean the prophecy was not fulfilled, but is the final confirmation that it was fulfilled. Tyre, the mistress of the seas, the trade and commercial center of the world for centuries, passed away never to be rebuilt again. The fishermen drying their nets upon the rocks that once formed the foundation of the ancient metropolis are the last link in the chain of prophecy that Ezekiel gave 2,500 years ago. The rocks around the area used to be jagged rocks. That's not where you lay your nets out to dry. You want to lay your nets out on a flat rock. (laughs) Well, they demolished the rocks down so much, and over the years, those rocks are now a flat rock for fishermen to now lay their nets out. And the city has never been rebuilt. Peter Stoner, in his book, Science Speaks, says... If Ezekiel had looked at Tyre in his day and had made these predictions in human wisdom, these estimates mean that there would only have been a 1 in 7.5 times 10 to the 7th power chance of all of these coming true. They all came true to the most minute detail. What an incredible story. There is no way that Ezekiel would have known any of this would have happened if it was not for the inspired word of God. And that's not the only prophecy. That's just the one prophecy that I'm kind of walking through the the details of. Other prophecy, Daniel describes the exact ebb and flow of four different empires, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and even Alexander the Great. Didn't mention him by name, but mentioned some things that he did. Jeremiah prophesied the curse on Jehoiachin and the destruction of the temple. Haggai, the restoration of the temple. Habakkuk, the Babylonian captivity. Nahum, the destruction of Nineveh and Assyria. Isaiah's prediction of the coming Persian king Cyrus, named him by name. All of these, there's no way that these humans would have known this. This is not guessing the weather, okay? It's going to rain on Wednesday, maybe, okay? That, that's, that's not what this is. This is hundreds and thousands of years out that there's no way they would have known that this is going to happen if not for the Lord, Prophecy about Jesus. Samuel said that he would be in the line of David. Micah said that his birthplace would be Bethlehem. How was that? His parents lived in Nazareth. Isaiah and Malachi said that his forerunner would be named John. To name him John. The whole story about John is that Zechariah wanted him to be named John, but his whole family said, don't name him John. There's nobody in your family named John. Name him Zechariah. And he says, no, his name is John. They foretold that years before. David said that no bones would be broken. Soldiers would gamble for his clothes in front of him at the cross and that his hands and feet would be pierced, just to name a few. These prophecies, when we look at this, sometimes we skip through that. We go to the New Testament. What did Jesus do? When we look at these prophecies, we look and we go, how did these people know this stuff? God. God. The inspired. That's the answer. Final answer. God. He knew what was coming, and he prophesied ahead of time. Some of his prophecies were, if you don't stop doing this, then this is going to happen. But some of it was, here's what's going to happen, guys. And it happened. And it absolutely happened. 2 Peter chapter 1, 
It says, we are not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. So Peter is there and he sees when Jesus gets baptized, he sees Jesus, he sees the Holy Spirit descend like a dove, and then he hears God the Father speak. So this experience that he had, and sometimes we have experiences, these experiences that we have and that Peter had only further puts the foundation on what has come in the past. We don't live our whole life based on experiences, but they are a connection to what we are already built upon. Verse 18, we ourselves heard that voice from heaven, and when we were with him on the holy mountain, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Pay close attention to what these prophets have said. And let me tell you, if all these prophecies from the Old Testament that have had a chance to come true have already come true, what do you think about the prophecies of the coming? Of the coming day of the Lord? Of the coming rapture? Of the coming millennial reign? Of the coming judgment seat of Christ? Of the coming new heavens and new earth? If all of these took place, all of these are going to take place as well. Verse 20, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Church, we can have confidence in this word of God. We can have confidence in this. Like The, 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 the debate is settled. There is no debate. Is there a God? Are you kidding me? There, there is no debate. It is long, long, long gone. There is a God, and there is a God who loves us. And this prophecy is one major proof that the Holy Spirit spoke to these authors, and they wrote the inspired Word of God. And I am so grateful and thankful for that, to know that I'm standing on a firm rock. When he says that he picked me up out of the mud and the mire, he placed me on solid ground, steadied me as I walk. As I walk with the Lord, I know that I'm walking on solid ground. I'm not hoping that this stuff is true. No, we are on solid ground. Because this is the inspired word of God. Now I want to do one more thing before we close. (coughs) And I want to to say this because I I think that this will help us. Okay? I think that this will help us. You know, all this is great. Help us walking in our, in our daily walk, in our, you know, what happens on Monday, what happened, okay? In our daily walk, when we feel like the Lord is speaking to us, is that the, is that the same speaking to us um, that the authors had when they wrote down this inspired word of God? Well, there's these two things called inspiration and illumination, okay? So inspiration is when God spoke this, this infilling with the words of Scripture, the Holy Word of God. Illumination is when the Lord speaks to us and we feel like the Lord wants us to go, go do this and go do that. Have, have you ever you know, thought, well, God told me to do this? 
God told me to pay for this person's meal. God told me to go witness to this person. God, okay, so we had this, that, we call that illumination because God is illuminating something in our life that we need to do, or we need to change, or we need to go, okay? There is a difference between inspiration and illumination, and we need to understand that. So there were, there were I talked about last week, but a couple of things that they wanted to kind of weed out this, what is the inspired word of God early on in the fourth century? Three main things. First of all, when they wrote the inspired, not wrote, when they put together, collected the inspired word of God, they wanted it to be, especially the New Testament, in the age of the apostles. So what that meant was, is that the New Testament writers were no more than one eyewitness away from Jesus. Okay? So they wanted to keep it as close to Jesus as they possibly could. So no more than one. So uh, Matthew, John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation were all written by apostles. Mark was a traveler of both Peter and Paul. Luke was a traveler of Paul, who was an apostle, according to 1 Corinthians 15. And he interviewed eyewitnesses of Jesus for both Luke and Acts. Luke wrote Luke and Acts. James and Jude were half-brothers of Jesus. Hebrews, uh, not 100% sure who, but it was either a follower of Peter, who was an apostle, or Paul, who was an apostle, or it may have been Paul. Most likely... Got myself in trouble here, didn't I? <laughs> Most likely a follower of Peter. But that's okay if you think it's Paul. We don't know, okay? We don't know. But, but either way, that, that's who it is, okay? And then finally, Paul wrote everything else. So one, one uh, uh, personal way, okay? No more than one eyewitness away from Jesus, okay? The second thing is they wanted it to be universal. They wanted the words, words of God here to be for everybody. They didn't want to add something to the scripture that, you know, a small sect of Christians believed. So we're not just going to add that. This is, you know, this is, they didn't call it mainstream, but Christianity believes this, okay? So it's, it's a universal thing. So if you're reading this scripture in the 4th century Israel, if you're reading it in 900 in South America, in Russia in 1900, or in Texas in 2022, this is for you. This is universal. This is for everybody. And then finally, uh, orthodoxy, or refers to the faithfulness of the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. And there were lots of fights on this, on the doctrine of the Trinity, and is he fully God, fully man, or 50%. There were tons of fight about this. But they wanted to remain faithful to the teachings of Jesus. So important, and they got it right, thankfully. Faithful to the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. And so that's where, those are those three things that you go through for inspiration. That's how we found this Word of God. Now, when it comes to illumination, we need to have some humbleness within ourselves. Okay? 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. Amen. It's okay to ask questions when someone says, God told me. It's okay to ask questions, okay? Because when God told me, that's not the inspired word of God. That's the Lord speaking to me through illumination, which happens. But we want to test and make sure that it's, that it's God speaking to us, right? Like, if you think God is speaking to you, you want to make sure that it's God and not just you. You just don't want to do that, okay? So, age of the apostles, we're not writing the Bible. And so we need to have some humility in that. So when we say something like, well, God told me to do this. 
We better do that with fear and trembling. Right? You guys receiving this and hopefully the spirit that I'm saying this in, okay? Fear and trembling, okay? Uh, I want to make sure when God says do this, whoo, let, let's pray about this. Let's not just jump on it and go. Let, let's pray about this. Let's make sure that we are doing what God wants us to do. I'm not the apostles writing scripture here, okay? I'm just a guy who makes mistakes. So I want to make sure that I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do. And so I need to have enough humbleness, humility in myself to go, sometimes I get things wrong. I want to make sure that this is the Lord. Universal. When the Lord is giving the ins- inspired word of God, that's for everybody. When he gives illumination, that's for me. That's for me. The Holy Spirit comes to me and says, Adam, you need to work on this. You need to do this. You need to go there. Now, too many times we get illumination and then we want to put that on other people. You know? You know, you really shouldn't be doing that. Well, God told me that. He didn't tell you that. The universal, the inspiration, that's where that comes from. There was a time in my life when uh, golf was much too important to me. Much too important to me. And it was becoming an idol in my life. I was constantly thinking about it. All of my free time was about golf, practicing, playing. Uh, you know, my work suffered. My family life suffered because that's, that's what I wanted to do all the time. And the Lord convicted me of it and said, you need to give up golf for a season. And there was a, a, a time where I didn't watch, play, read, and it was tough. But the Lord was right. I had made it into something more than it was. That was illumination. The Holy Spirit, there's no, the word golf is not in here. <clears throat> God spoke to me and said, and illuminated in my life, this is wrong. And so I changed. Now, that didn't mean that I drove past a golf course and said, look at you sinners. Don't you know you're supposed to take a break? Okay? That wasn't for them. That was for me. That was for me. The Lord spoke to me for me. And so for me to put that on other people, well, I mean, that, that's pharisaical if you want to go down that road. That's that, now we're, going down, a, now we're going, down, going down a weird thing. The inspiration... Word of God is universal for everyone. Illumination is for me. And so we need to have enough humbleness to understand that. And then finally, this is how you test it. Does it remain faithful to the teachings of Jesus? Is when God says to you, do this, first thing you should do is come to this right here. Does this remain faithful to the teachings of the Word of God? Because if what God is asking it, what we say God's asking us to do is that God asking us or are we just really wanting to do that and so we just say God told me so no one can argue with me. Can I say that? Well, I did. So, <clears throat> but, but you see what I'm saying though, right? We have to test that. I'm, I'm going to tell you the story and, and, and you're going to say that I made it up. I did not make this up, okay? Had a lady came to us. We were at a church and she said, um, the Lord or I, uh, I want to divorce my husband, and I want to marry this other man, and the Lord has approved it. Okay? So, we had a little, little conversation. I, it's okay to ask questions. You definitely want to ask questions at this point. And I, so, you know, is, is, did he cheat on you? Is there some abuse going on? I mean, is this like a conversation we need to have? Uh, no. No, I'm, I am done with this one. I'm tired of this one, and I want to marry this one, and the Lord approves. 
Okay? <laughs> so then it was great because my, my pastor said, what did God actually say? What, what were the words of the Lord? What did God actually say? <laughs> so the woman said, well, I read in the scripture that it says to take off the old man and to put on the new man. That's not what that verse is talking about, okay? That is not what that verse is talking about. Now, <laughs> she may not have been sinister. She just may have been naive. I don't know. Maybe she was. I don't know. But that's why I say it's okay to test and to ask questions. That's not of God. That is not illumination or inspiration. That's crazy nation. I don't know what that is. That's not what we're supposed to do here, okay? And so, <laughs> it's crazy. So we need to be careful. When we say, well, God told me, we need to be able to test that. And that's not some sort of like, card we can lay down. Now you can't challenge me because God told me, okay? It's okay to test. Have enough, have enough humbleness to know we're not writing scripture. It's illumination, okay? Understand that it's from me. It's not, I'm not on everybody else, and also it's got to remain faithful to the teachings of Jesus. It has to remain, it has to remain faithful to this right here, the Word of God. And if it doesn't, it's not from God. That's you, man. That's you. And listen, if we make a mistake, we make a mistake. We missed it. We misheard. That's fine. We move on. We keep serving the Lord. We keep asking that the Lord speak to us as well. People make mistakes. That's fine. We move on. We move on. But it's this word right here. That's why I say, that's why I wanted to make a distinction between the illumination, which happens. I, I don't want to discourage people from ever saying that. Because that absolutely it happens. The Lord speaks to us, wants us to go this, but we test that. And we test it by the inspired word of God. And that's what it's for. Psalm 119. A couple of verses in Psalm 119. says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's why we hide this word. We don't think what our opinion or what we think it is so that we might not sin because we might call sin that's not sin or not sin that is sin. No. We've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 119.105 says that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Not the culture tells me where to go. Not my opinion tells me where to go. The Bible tells me where to go. The inspired word of God tells us where to go. So we can lean on this Word of God, and we can lean on Jesus. John 1, 1. You know, I had to get to this verse at some point. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So you got God the Father, and then you got, okay? All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of man. Skip to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus Christ. That's who we stand on. That's who we stand on. Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. 
cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we are accountable. Not our friends, not our boss. He is the one whom we are accountable. And this word is a living and active. And so it cuts, it, listen, it cuts between joint and barrel. It exposes our innermost. Listen, we can come to church and put our dress on and makeup or suit or whatever. And to everybody else, we look good. But the word of God cuts through all of that. Says you, can, you can make everybody else think you're good. You're not good. You're not following the Lord. And this word cuts through that. And so that's why we read that. That's why we read this. I want it to be cut through. Is there anything that's holding me back from a better relationship with you? Then cut it out of my life. I don't want it there. Golf or anything else. I don't want it there. Get it out. Verse 14. So then, since we have a high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Church, we need to hold firmly to what we believe because it's solid ground. Because it's firm foundation. And it doesn't matter if the storm comes. It doesn't matter uh, if circumstances are getting us down. It doesn't matter if we feel like we have to defend our faith at work or the atheist or whatever. We are standing on solid ground. We are standing on solid ground. So let us hold firmly to what we believe. If you would stand this morning, we're going to go into a time of worship. And that's simply what it is. If you want to find a place to pray, these altars are open. You certainly can do that. But I want us just to, to lift up a praise and a worship to the Lord. Because He has given us His Word, His inspired Word of God. Through prophecy, through authors, He's given it to us. And so we know that we can stand firm. That we can stand firm. So would you lift your hands this morning, begin to talk to Him, begin to worship Him right now, even before we sing the song. Lord, we worship You this morning. We praise You, Jesus. Thank You, Lord. If you feel a need to come and pray and needle at the altar, maybe you want me to pray with you about something, I absolutely can do that. And I'll open up this time for us to be able to do that. But right now, let's worship the Lord. Praise His holy name. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Word. Hallelujah, Jesus. This rock that we can stand on. Hallelujah, Lord. This rock that we can stand on. Solid ground solid ground that we have built our house on. Hallelujah, Lord. Let's lift up a praise and a worship to the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. Lift up a praise to the Lord. God, we love you this morning, Jesus. We praise your name. Lord, you're worthy of praise, God. You're worthy of praise. God, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. God, you're worthy of praise. God, I thank you so much for a firm foundation that we can place our feet in. Help us, Lord, to set our feet on the solid rock, the solid rock on Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. When the rains fall, when the winds blow, when the streams rise, you are with us as our firm foundation. Help us to stand strong. Stand strong in you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. God, I, I pray for those this morning that they, they, they feel, maybe there's some today that feel a little choked by the world. 
It, just, it feels like a, like a wave and another wave that's coming. It just seems like one thing happens after another. And you're not sure if you can stand up to it. God, I pray for those right here this morning. I pray for those this morning. To know, as Pastor Tom read this morning, that you are with us. Do not be scared. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with us wherever you go. Wherever we go, you are with us. So for those who feel choked by life's circumstances, and I pray that your presence would be there, that they could stand on that firm rock, stand on that firm foundation, that solid ground that is your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for it, Lord. Help us, Lord, to stand on a firm foundation. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Hallelujah. Thank you.